Welcome to CultureCast, the podcast that focuses on culture in its broader sense, from putting people back at the heart of organisational culture, through to the seismic shifts taking place in society every single day. My name is Vimla, and I'm the co-founder of Honey Badger, a UK business that focuses on designing and delivering measurable change to organisations through experience and culture. Today on the podcast, we have Annie Mbako, a truly inspirational person who talks about her career change from banking into design and technology and the difference in culture that she's seen along the way. Annie tells her story and with it, the subtle differences in various working cultures and how they've impacted her as a person and her career. In this podcast, we talk about the links between our clothes and the psychology of colour, as well as how our behaviour can influence the people around us. Annie does an incredible job of opening up about different cultures and different environments and explains why Agile methodologies are changing her outlook to work. I haven't done this podcast justice. Give it a listen and leave with a deeper understanding of the world of culture and work. Hi everyone, I'm here today with Annie Bacco, a good friend of mine who I work with at Diverse and Equal, but also who I know from the tech community in Manchester. Um, Annie, would you introduce yourself? Hi everyone. So as Vim has already alluded to, I'm kind of based within the tech community in Manchester. I'm actually new. I started out my career in banking. I decided a few years ago to transition over to the tech industry. And now I find myself uh, mainly working in diverse and equal and trying to help other people also get into the tech industry. I'm still constantly learning a lot myself. And yeah, I just found it fascinating. One thing that I I discovered once I tried to get in is I just assumed that the tech industry was diverse and there weren't any issues, which it is diverse to some extent. But yeah, I found that there's a lot of work to be done. I'm actually learning a lot and also being exposed to large ways of working, which you know, we're not used to in the banking world, or we weren't back in that back in the day. Um, it's been a very steep and interesting learning curve for me, but I'm loving it. Amazing. Thank you. And what was it that sparked the move from banking to tech? Really, the main thing was that I was seeing a lot of activity in the local community in Manchester in terms of meetups. I started going to meetups myself and meeting all these cool people who were saying a lot of things that I didn't understand. But it was really, I think, a difference in culture, the culture or cultures that I was used to, types of cultures that you would find in a typical big company, a multinational corporation. So I was used to doing things in a certain way. And I'd never really had any other exposure to other industries, not proper exposure anyway. So it was great when I was going to meetups, sometimes meeting senior people and, you know, they were wearing jeans and just relaxed and just speaking and playing English. I mean, that was a real shock for me. It was great because I could see, you know, it was great to see some people, you could tell that they were very intelligent, sometimes doing very technical work. But when it came to speaking to people to the outside world, they were really relaxed and really friendly. And I didn't necessarily expect that. And I was embraced. I'm quite lucky, actually, because I was embraced by the community, community leaders that I met throughout the time so yeah I think I had I always say that I had a red carpet rolled out for me in some ways as a newcomer and that was really really encouraging so I'm not saying that you wouldn't necessarily get that in banking but it's quite different and the experience I've had previously was um there was a lot of competition and you had to come pretty much polished and there were things that you you know you couldn't help like if you'd gone to a particular school or university yeah, your chances of getting ahead, even in a networking space, was affected by that. And you can't really help that sort of thing. But I felt a bit more free within the tech industry. So I decided to take a chance while I was still comfortable and jump and give it a go. And it's been great ever since. Not that I would never return back to banking, but I'm not looking to go back in a hurry. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really cool. Do you think that's the same experience for other people trying to join the the tech industry or the tech community? 
I think generally, yes. Obviously, it does depend on where where they join because some people do go into the tech industry, but they're actually still working in a big corporate. But I would say even within those spaces, from what I have seen, tech teams, even within the corporate space, have got a different culture compared to the rest of the, the, the company. So yeah, from speaking to people who are rolling in now, people who've gone before me, it is generally a bit of a sigh of relief. And we're happy just to get some, it feels like we're free, we're more free, it's easier to transition from one discipline to another. And there's a lot more of a flat structure, which I absolutely love. And yeah, that's one of the things that I I love because I value autonomy so much. And yeah, it just seems to, it doesn't happen everywhere necessarily, but it seems to be a big thing, getting some kind of autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I thrive on autonomy as well. And I think that's what drew me into the tech sector too, was being able to kind of do your own thing without anyone really questioning it, as long as you could get the results you needed or get on with it. Yeah. And also another thing, actually being able to think about your, you know, your own self, because I think for the first time in the last few years is when I've really thought about what my skills and attributes are not having somebody dictate them to me or just looking at set paths and trying to fit into pathways that don't fit me. Because that's something I realized. I knew it at the time, you know, when I was starting my career, I knew that I was quite surprised that I lasted that long. I was there for nearly 10 years. Yeah, it's very, very different. I think I find it in the tech world that you, well, I've been encouraged anyway to look internally and really get to know myself and then look at what I can do and actually think about things that I like doing mm-hmm. because sometimes you know the reality is you just got to do a job to bring in money and some of the jobs that we do <laughs> they bring in a lot more money than others and that's what drives mm-hmm. you that's what dictates you really so it's yeah it's a nice thing to be able to do something that you actually like that fits your personality that fits your skills and interests and it's nice to have the flexibility to be able to change one to another. And do you think that kind of focus on yourself and the things that make you happy is unique to the tech industry? I don't think so. I think I just didn't, there wasn't that much happening in terms of that side in the banking industry because, as I said, you can always follow your heart and just do what you want. But at the end of the day, there is a great disparity between different subsectors of the banking and finance and between different jobs. So sometimes people's ambitions are actually driven by prestige, money, power, or it could be autonomy or whatever you need at work, as opposed to doing things that you actually really, really want to do. So I don't think the tech industry is the only industry. I mean, I'd love to believe that it can't be the only industry where you're encouraged to be yourself. And I think that's got to do with really how creative people have to be in order to produce their best work. So I I would like to imagine that in some creative industries anyway, or any industry where creativity is key, yeah, people would be focusing a lot more on what they love and what they can't do, because that's something that you, you cannot fake, really. There's some jobs, you know, you can go in and just do do what it says on the tin or follow set instructions or work within certain parameters and you'll still do great. But yeah, it's, I think it goes hand in hand with that autonomy. The more free you are to be the person who you really, really are, that's when you can achieve greater things and I guess flourish in the company or, you know, you're whoever you're working for or working with everything flourishes that way because there's a lot more freedom yeah but it's not only in the tech industry I'm sure there are others it's just that I don't I don't personally know yeah I love that though I love the way you put it there of once you have that sense of self you flourish everything flourishes because it sparks your creativity it fuels you so on that note what does culture mean to you for me when when I hear the word culture what I think about is really how we do what we do. And I emphasize on the word how, because sometimes we can go about doing the same thing or with the same aim, but we just do do things in, in different ways. And things that come to mind are like 
based on cultural experiences, based on the way that we've been brought up, based on really family support, because that's something that's very important to me as a Cameroonian, as an African, it's really, really important. So yeah, when I think of culture, it is based on how do we do what we do, but it's also how you've experienced the world that influences how you do what you do. That's how I like to think of it in that sense. And I always think about work. I don't know why <laughs> I say culture or yeah. about work, but that, that applies to life in general. It isn't just work. Well, I think it's the other way around. I think life applies to work because those experiences, everything that makes you you, being Cameroonian, like family values, influences the way you experience or act at work, whether we intend it to or not. And I don't think as a society we give ourselves enough time to think about that because we're, we have this culture at home and then we're put into work and it's all of a sudden, no, no, you don't think about any of that stuff. You don't think about the party at the weekend or whatever it might be. You kind of have to leave that at the front door and walk into this homogenous thing where everyone's expected to act and think the same yeah yeah gosh that brought back memories just as when you were talking that <laughs> <laughs> uh, brought back so many memories yeah because it I can remember in sometimes in teams in work when I was working yeah it, it really was like that or I didn't sometimes feel comfortable to bring my whole weekend over into work it just felt like it was too much it's strange actually because now with any any team that I work with now I don't feel like that I don't feel as if I have to shield my weekend or choose which part to to expose or not I don't <laughs> I don't feel as if there are going to be any repercussions whereas back then there were, there were some teams that I've been through and I went through quite a few teams where yeah I just didn't feel comfortable or this we used to say it wasn't it wasn't part of the game. Yeah, there was a game to be played and that just wasn't part of the game. Wow. Where where do you think that came from? I think that was a culture that's been inherited through time. I don't know exactly from who, but I guess that the the teams had people, you know, there were people who had worked within the industry for decades. They'd started working in the seventies, in the eighties way back when things were very different. And even though things have changed, it's quite hard to change the way that someone works. Yeah, they're either flexible or they're not. And I think it's also with the structure in terms of hierarchy on the team, senior people that whatever, they they dictate the culture really. So yeah, they can make it comfortable or uncomfortable or possible to share your weekend without people judging you for example or or not yeah it's it's really I think the hierarchical element of yeah the structure it really really affects what happens on the team and it can also be really strong personalities as well but usually it's from the bosses (laughs) in that sort of structure it is most of the time the bosses or whoever has power on the floor Mm -hmm. Do you think they realised the impact they were having? Oh, absolutely not. With some of them, absolutely not. Because in some instances, people are too scared to challenge. And, you know, with good reason, because it may have affected reviews. It may have affected any anything positive that they would have gotten further down the line. And, yeah, they were... I, think they were subconsciously aware that there would be biases you know in terms of what's this word I used to always joke with people use the word insubordination which to me it sounds crazy you know I haven't said it for a long time but that's what it's classified as sometimes when you challenge people in when you're in hierarchy and it depends how someone takes your challenge or you pointing out something not even necessarily a challenge but just giving feedback and saying this is how you are yeah if they really have a lot of power and you know nothing realistically nothing is going to change what is the point I don't don't know it's it's a quite a big risk to speak up I'd say so yeah that doesn't happen that often 
And I think, yeah, people who uh, spoke up found themselves either stagnated or, you know, very quickly moved on somewhere else. When you see that happening as part of the team as well, you it stops you from speaking out if you did think things were wrong as well, because you see the repercussions, you see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes a very strong person or someone with a very secure position to actually open their mouth and and say something to stand up or say that it's it's wrong. And it took me a while, actually. This is why I say I'm surprised that I survived in some environments on some teams for, for as long as I did, because <laughs> I hate, <laughs> hate a confrontation, especially when I started working. I absolutely would just do anything to avoid it. Yeah, and coming from a background where I actually studied biomedical science in uni and working in the lab, that, that really wasn't my experience at all. If you had something valuable to say, the professors or the researchers would listen to you regardless of what, what rank you were. I'm sure there's hierarchy in science as well, but it really, really was not the same. As long as you had some evidence or something to back up what you were saying, it was easy to speak up. Yeah, it's not, that isn't the case necessarily at work and it's complicated, but there are loads of, yeah, different factors that affect how, how comfortable people are. Yeah. Speak up. And there's not that kind of mechanism where you are necessarily asked for your opinion. That depends very much on the leadership of a team and how they make the team work. Mm. And that's why I love Agile or the whole concept of Agile so much <laughs> I can feel it I can feel the love that's a really interesting career history though so you went from biomedical science to banking to tech what kind of led you from biomedicine biomedicine to, yeah, so to banking? I, oh gosh I didn't even make make it to working in the lab properly that career kind of ended in uni and <laughs> funny thing is I got told got feedback that I was very talkative in the lab and anyone that knows me <laughs> knows that I'm not I'm not talkative at all it's just I didn't have the patience to wait for cells to grow and for things to happen because <laughs> it's very very <laughs> I when I chose my degree I wanted to be a CSI I'd watched far too much TV and I thought it was going to be really interesting exciting sexy and it was interesting I loved learning everything that I loved but the reality of work real work was yeah it just didn't suit me and I looked around and I think banking was something that it just came about because loads of people around me were doing it I knew some some people in the family we were in so I yeah I jumped in so I tried retail banking and quickly discovered that I didn't like it (laughs) and then yeah I ended up in investments completely by accident and it was an exciting time I say exciting time it was actually terrible so I got my job just in the middle of the last credit crunch it was 2008 while it was still happening, while all the turmoil was still happening and there was a lot of work to be done. And I was just grateful to have a job and to have a job in something that I didn't study, didn't really know. And my people skills and analytical skills were valued. So yeah, that's why I went in. It was an open door where really they you know, took people with with degrees, without degrees, with different degrees. You didn't have to have an economics or a maths degree. Mm, amazing. I would have never put the two together. It makes sense now that you explained it. <laughs> We've spoken a lot about what's good with the tech industry at the moment and the culture there particularly, but what do you think is wrong with the culture in tech at the moment? I still think, despite having... I guess the structural backbone of Agile to lean on. One thing I see is that people are perhaps not intentional, really. They, you know, there's one thing, there's a difference between wanting a great culture or wanting more diversity, et cetera, et cetera, and actually doing something about it. And I think a whole Agile framework or way of working, it's a great, it lends itself really greatly to having a great culture. But if, I guess, 
the specific ways that people work every day, if that isn't thought of, if it isn't reviewed and looked at constantly, people can easily, easily fall into traps and <laughs> suddenly end up, you know, with places where you have a huge revolving door or some big disaster happens and you have a PR issue on on your hands because of the culture or people all of a sudden just wake up and realize that it's not not that great a place to work so that's one thing I would say to people it doesn't matter which industry to be fair but you need to be intentional just because you have all the great ingredients or the right ingredients to have a good workplace culture or for things to be great it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen if they're not mixed or they're not applied in the right way it will not happen and that comes from in having the intention to look and unfortunately there is no manual that we can give people different businesses are different they're going to work differently different things are going to work within them so it's about really understanding what your people want what do you want as a business which direction do you want to go in and trying things and finding out how you can how you can make them work and also being able to hold your hands up and admit when it's not working because that's something that a lot of places don't do uh, at least not externally they do not do yeah it's it's kind of one of one of my pet peeves I, I do see more people doing it in the tech industry than anywhere else I have to say and that may be because of the, the way that the cultures are in order to I guess do things in the ideal way there's there are going to be mistakes made there's got to be a little bit of experimentation but also just admitting when something doesn't work so that you can stop doing it and move on and try something else that's really really important really really important yeah definitely I think that intent piece is so crucial to designing a good culture because I think what used to happen a lot in like you say in a lot of industries was the culture or the values would just get written on the wall and they'd be used as PR or marketing or you know it's what people would get excited about in an interview and then you'd land and it was like Groundhog Day and you know it was working 24 hours a day for nothing and all of this stuff and I actually think the tech industry falls victim to that quite a lot with the bro culture in Silicon Valley culture that's infiltrated without anyone questioning if it's the right culture for their company yet. And I think that shows its head in how we see beanbags in offices when really no one uses them or ping pong tables that are distracting or, you know, all of this stuff that actually doesn't, isn't what people wanted. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, that's true. When you and when you say that, <laughs> I don't know if this is a trend, but I know that before I left, I could see a wave of big corporates who some of them had a big tech arm, some of them didn't. They were also absorbing that bro culture and trying to be more cool, really following the tech industry. So they brought in ping pong tables, well, <laughs> brought in you know bean bags, specific areas. There were there are some offices that I've been to where there, an entire floor feels like a playground mm -hmm. and you know there's nothing wrong with that but I'm just I, I was just trying to think when I walked in I was like how do they get any work done how do they do it because I know certainly I'm, I used to sit not far from the ping pong table at work I think I used it like once or twice but I only used it because I was trying to have a conversation with someone and I knew that they wouldn't leave that table <laughs> <laughs> it's great <laughs> it's great for that I know it brought a lot of relief for some people but I am wondering you know how many because that's something I didn't I wasn't there for long enough to see the effects and maybe those questions weren't being asked but how many people actually use those tables something else that got brought up when the office got renovated and all these things changed was that we didn't really consider as a business the effect that it would have on people who are neurodiverse because even something like having carpet tiles that had different patterns quite a lot of people complained about that and the lighting a lot of people complained about how bright it was and we we didn't know that it was going to happen although you know 
I guess whoever designed it was just thinking, this is going to be great. We have new bright colors. It's going to look cool. Mm-hmm. It's going to go away from that gray kind of dusty office look, which is good. But yeah, not not much consideration into how is it going to affect people. And you know what happened, actually? Some of these people had, with their neurodiversities, they didn't actually declare them to management. And I remember at the time, because I was chairing one of the multicultural networks and we were working together with all the other employee networks. And we actually had people approach us first because they were afraid. Um, They didn't know who to tell, how to tell management or HR that they just can't do a hot desk or they can't sit somewhere where the carpet tile is blue and yellow or gray, you know, a whole mixture. They can't do it. So how, how do they get up and do that? So yeah, that's an eye opener that something even as simple as an office renovation, actually everybody needs to be considered. It's it's really interesting you bring that up because it's one of the pitfalls of open plan offices as well, that the trend for everything to be open plan just doesn't work no. for everyone. And I, it amazes me that that still isn't being questioned or designed out. Like there aren't any new ways of thinking, rethinking that, that I see people implementing anyway. It's that, and that's really sad to hear because I would have thought, I mean, I'm not a designer, <laughs> but I would have thought there would have been a solution by now. Because I remember when we, you know, I, I don't think I had that much of a problem with the open plan office but one thing I used to do a lot is that when I needed quiet me time because I worked on a team that was it was client facing we were on the phones constantly if I needed me time I actually booked a meeting room so I could just be alone with no phone and (laughs) thank goodness (laughs) that I was able to do that but what if half the building was full of people like me maybe it was and maybe they weren't didn't feel comfortable enough to not be at their desk for an hour but there has to be a better solution and I don't know maybe this working from home and and lockdown is part of the answer to it but that there has to be a better solution because I I wouldn't class myself as neurodiverse I'm not sure that I fully have understood you know how I react to working in an open plan office but even for me I'd find sometimes it might be my introversion sometimes I just need quiet dead silence and I need to see nobody and I need to not have phones or flashing lights or anything I don't want to speak to people and there's got to be space or something that you know people for people like me that once in a while we can just escape to and be in a corner but yeah maybe maybe lockdown or working from home might be the answer for that not sure but yeah there's definitely I'm a self-classified introvert as well and there's something for me of people sitting behind me <laughs> I like I, c- I can't sit facing a door or with my back to a door and I couldn't sit with people I find it really difficult to sit with people behind me and so if you're in an open planned office that's almost unavoidable and I really struggled I don't know what it was it just always had had me tense it just didn't I didn't like it and I was never able to there was nothing I could do about it either. Like it just, that's just how it was. And see, this is a shame because you saying that you're not unusual. When you say that, I can think of 10 people that I used to work with, even on my floor who were like that. Some of them had control of where people sat on the team. So they made sure that they put themselves in a corner (laughs) where, you know, people weren't passing their back. But you should be able to, in your teams, there should be at some point, somebody should be asking you know, if we're going to sit in this corner, does anybody have any preferences? Has anyone got anything, you know, that you, you need in order to work ideally? And that should be taken into consideration. And if that means that you rotate once in a while with somebody else, then so be it. But it makes your working day or your working days so much better. And it's not hard to do. So I don't understand I don't understand why that can't be done, why that isn't done as a standard. I mean, I've had great managers who have done that from the start. They've laid out in the first one-to-one, just asked, what do you need to work ideally? And even if you don't know, it's fine. If you want to tell me a few months down the line, that's absolutely fine. But what do you need, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, anything, tell me because I want to know 
how to manage you. I want to know how to make the workplace better for you or to make you happier so you work at your optimum. It should be something that everyone does. But yeah, for some reason, it doesn't always happen. No, it really, really doesn't. We've spoken a lot there about the importance of, well, I, I guess we've covered kind of the importance of being able to talk about the differences and therefore the needs in different environments, but also the importance of that diversity in the team to make those conversations acceptable. Like if if you feel like you're the only neurodiverse person on a team, you might feel less comfortable to to talk about it. What do you think has influenced that part of tech culture, the kind of need to feel tech, I guess, in a, in a weird way? Yeah, I think, well, gosh, I guess this is, this may be a bit tough for me because I'm speaking from a position of being outside teams. So my experience is really from other people's stories of working within tech teams. But I think the push for diversity and also maybe realizing the diversity within that already existed. So we talked spoke briefly about, you know, neurodiversity, but I don't think from what I've heard that there was much consideration being given to people who were on teams that were neurodiverse. They may have been previously just put into one side and branded as you're quiet. You're the geeky, quiet one that just sits in the corner. (laughs) You know, that may not have been the case. So I see a lot more of, you know, people actually trying to investigate or ask questions as to why some people, you know, may not be as interactive within teams, because that's how sometimes it manifests and also just being considerate. So the people were always there. They were just, a lot of them were either, either very quiet or, they could have been very, very loud. Yeah, that's so, yeah, so it's a combination of, yeah, looking at the people who are already there, but then push for diversity. So now as there are more career changes going into the tech industry, I guess there's more of a mix of ways of working and personalities that maybe there weren't so many of before and companies are having to to adapt to things and I guess break down people having to break down preconceptions of each other and I just remember a talk that I did a couple of years ago actually and it was in a a tech firm but they're quite relaxed and before I went on stage someone was talking about how they don't feel comfortable doing talks within a corporate setting because working in tech industry they can literally wear what they want every day to work but they felt like they had to wear a suit or dress up and it was so uncomfortable for them. And I said, I understand because there were times when, you know, I I love bright colors. And if I wore a bright color, I would stand out. And a lot of people would make comments about it. Or if I wore some shoes that were unusual, you know, a lot of people make comments about it because it's quite easy for them to, you know, it's something they can see, they can comment on. And so I'm like, there were actually people who feel the same way as you. So it doesn't mean that just because, you know, you work in a bank or whatever, that everybody loves wearing suits <laughs> or they love walking <laughs> around in grey. Some of us do actually like bright colours. We would love to walk around in Doc Martens and you can do that these days, actually, if you're not facing a client. Um, but yeah, so that's what I talk about, breaking misconceptions or preconceptions of what actually happens on either side because we mm-hmm. don't know. And now you're getting this crossover of people from different industries, yeah, coming together. So that's the thing that I'm seeing, but it's because I'm seeing a lot of new people coming to the industry and speaking to them and then seeing people who are more established and listening to what they're they're saying. But I I think I might have a different, maybe a slightly different opinion if I'd actually worked within a tech team. I think it's true. It's kind of, it's really strange as well, because in a really weird way, the tech sector is becoming the corporate sector that Facebook Google are corporates <laughs> massive corporates yet they still seem to have this culture that we don't associate with a corporate culture so there's all of these misconceptions around what it means to work in corporate versus tech when actually they can be the same thing it's the culture that's different not the type of organization 
yeah I remember making a promise to myself when I left um a job <laughs> a while ago I think it was my first job out of uni and I don't know why I had this because it was never said to me but I promised myself from then on I would never take a job where I couldn't my trainers every day <laughs> because it's such a like important thing for me to be able to just be comfortable and I never have and I don't, it's not intentional I just never ask I just always wear trainers it's what mm. I want it's how I work best so yeah see that's great that you had that or you prioritized that so early on because some of us hands up included me we were thinking you know honestly when I first joined here I was thinking okay I will end up in London in a few years and if I have up to wear a suit and heels to do it it's fine I, I, I can sacrifice <laughs> I can do it but when I look back and I think about it I'm just I mean I learned a lot I did learn a lot and I had a lot of great experiences but sometimes I do wonder was it worth it should I have turned around because you know since funny enough since leaving I haven't really worn my dresses, probably not even touched a suit. The heels that I had, I've barely touched them and I've given most of them away. I love them. They were very comfortable, but I don't really miss them. So I, I think that confidence that you have to say, you know, whatever it is that you have, you know, such an early stage to say, I will not accept working if I don't have this, 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 that. That's so important. So, so, so important probably easier to do it these days but yeah it's really important to have it's it's my millennial entitlement I think <laughs> <laughs> See, now you're starting to sound like some of my old bosses that's what we <laughs> when we used to bring some some things in we would rebel and refuse to do certain things they would yeah put it down to millennials entitled you young people didn't know you know this is not how it was in the day but I think it's it's great because it, you have freedom to wear whatever <laughs> as long as your output is what the company expects that's all that matters you, you know you should be comfortable doing it why not because you're working really really hard after all yeah I love dressing up I do miss it but yeah, I just wish. I think these days, actually, that's another, that's a great thing, actually, that banks have picked up from Silicon Valley as well, or the tech industry, is dress down. Just having dress down, especially if you're not meeting a client. And sometimes even doing, we call it dress down interviews, but it is all it is is doing interviews in jeans and T-shirt or jeans and shirt. Yeah. That's dress down. But yeah, it's great because then it makes the, you know, the person that you're interviewing know and feel a lot more comfortable that this is yeah something that I can do every day and I don't have to worry about getting dry cleaning done oh yeah it's such a antiquated way of thinking like I will tell you what to wear in order for you to work it like as a concept that's so old school like I hadn't thought about it before until now like how old mm. mentality that is yeah it's and I think, again, this has got to do with the people who control what goes on. So you will find, you know, there are some people when they started, I remember, they would kind of dress up, but it would be just on the edge. And as you, you can see them as, as soon as they start climbing up the ladder, the further up they go, the more they get into uniform. That's what I call it. <laughs> they get into uniform and they eventually conform but it, it is from the people at the top of you know how they're perceived and also I think with, with some industries your clients don't trust you as much or at least as a perception clients still don't trust you as much if you come in jeans and t-shirt as opposed to being in a suit and shiny shoes and tend to control less less money it's a shame actually um, you tend to be able to c command less less money but on the flip side I'm like why can the tech industry do, do that why yeah. can't Mark Zuckerberg be you know exactly. as rich as he can but you see all the other you know people in banking they're still struggling so I hope that's something that the dress down culture that's happening now every day that it will actually filter through to the well it probably won't because some of those people they've been doing it for decades and you know it, it's a bit too much to ask but I think in the next you know 10 20 years yeah we're going to be that especially with fintechs coming in because they've changed 
I'm sure no one in Monza wears a suit. <laughs> Maybe a few people. <laughs> I agree. I think there is. It's it's really interesting the whole impact of fashion on culture because I definitely have outfits I wear to make me feel confident and powerful. Whereas I know that there are other outfits that will make me feel intimidated and it is an interesting mentality and I wonder if that is why that suit kind of suits and shoes has survived for so long because it has become synonymous with power and authority in a lot of like circles. Absolutely, absolutely and I remember right from the start even having conversations about this it's a bit of a struggle point as well particularly with women because you don't want to overdo it but we're very very aware that there is you know if you look at the women that rise up through the ranks into those businesses they a lot of them dress in similar ways there are certain things that they do so it's very hard to not do that as well but there's a lot of talk about like power dressing it's a yeah. thing you know we always used to hire psychologists to come in and talk about power dressing and there was a lot of talk about even your posture and the way that you project your voice and just to make yourself aware that how you do different things is going to get different reactions from people and just to be aware of that so if you do want to climb up the ladder these are the things that you may want to do once in a while or you know think about your personality how can you do do certain things if you're not confrontational what messages can you send out with either your dressing or your posture without having to raise your voice for example yeah so that actually the education in terms of self-awareness in those circles is pretty good because you have to everybody needs to know you know you need to know whether you can do it or not (laughs) and if you can't you know then you find your place elsewhere but it's also just being aware because some people are naturally like that and they're not even aware they're not aware of you know why why they're a certain way and why it gives them an advantage so yeah that's one of the greatest things I actually learned a lot of investment into psychologists to talk to us and just educate what was going on blows my mind really it's because thinking back to you saying the bright colors thing I have always worn bright colors to work without ever thinking about because I like bright colors too and I know it comes from my heritage and it's what people around me grew up wearing it's just let's get on my skin tone it's (laughs) it's what I wore Um, and I never thought of the connotations that that would give which I'm sure it did of young aloof text like standard behavior that kind of stuff which was completely unintentional on my behalf but mm-hmm. yeah really really interesting yeah on the colors that's it's also a, i think that's also a cultural thing for different people mm-hmm. because i tend to find the people who wore bright colors or even tried it was because you know they grew up around that or whichever country that they were from people wear bright colors that is it not that bright colours aren't worn in the UK, but yeah. <laughs> certainly within hierarchical <laughs> businesses, definitely yeah. 10 years ago, that was not really happening. So if you wanted to, actually, it's it's funny the way that colours are used in order to, I say used, but they are used in order to do different things. So my favourite colour is red. And <laughs> at the start, I just used to wear it once in a while and I didn't care. But I actually found out, you know, from business psychologists, they were like, yes, this is the color that you wear if you want attention. You know, if you're an extrovert, you're quite loud. This will, it'll be great for you because it'll get everybody in the room looking at you. I was like, I don't, I don't want to. I mean, for me, wearing red just makes me feel confident because it's my favorite color. And thank goodness, because I don't want people, everyone to turn around and look at me. But that's what was happening so yeah, my wearing red to feel comfortable in that setting was wearing red to say, look at me, I'm here, I'm commanding attention, peacock, <laughs> I'm a peacock. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, different things like I've heard in other places saying that if you go into an interview wearing blue, particularly dark blues, 
it just projects some kind of intelligence. It basically increases your chances of getting hired by a lot. And that is something I know from friends in some schools that are well-funded, especially private schools, that is something that they're told and it passes down the line. They are told, wear navy blue suit, navy blue dress, and your chances of getting the job a lot higher. I'm going to bear that in mind when next time I'm hiring someone. <laughs> Have I just hired them because they were wearing blue? Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I, I don't know a lot about colour theory, but there is there's definitely something about the, whether it's biases or the traditions around those industries that just make people think that if you wear navy blue, somehow you're more trustworthy or going to be a better employee. Mm. It, it's strange, but, it, you know, people should be aware aware of it. And some people do, you know, they will play the game. They will just wear this particular colour for the particular occasion. And it, it does work. So yeah. I think, yeah, colour theory is something people need to make themselves aware of as well because... Yeah, we we we're still we're still reacting to it. Even designers use it to design rooms. You know, the color can affect your mood as well. So yeah, it is something to to bear in mind, which I don't think a lot of people pay attention to. No, not at all. And if you could change one thing about the tech culture at the moment, what would it be? Oh gosh, this is <laughs> a tough one. I think one thing that I definitely would change, I don't know how to put this, but I think in the efforts to get new people into the industry, something that I'm seeing probably far too much of is people kind of taking, it's good to take talent from everywhere, but kind of picking talent from the same places or ignoring talent, you know, wherever the business is based. And I'm seeing this only, you know, in Manchester because I'm here. I've noticed this a lot with, you know, a lot of businesses that say, yes, we, you know, we know we want career changes. We want to get people in who've got some transferable skills, blah, blah, blah. But my question is, are you actually looking at the people who were maybe born here, bred here, go to university here, go to school here. And I'm wondering if you know, if that happens in other cities as well, because there are a lot of talented people on the ground, but maybe they just don't understand the jargon of what the job titles mean. They don't understand the jargon of what the tasks mean. So have you done a good enough job to translate it into plain English? Are you doing a good enough job of doing some outreach? Because, you know, that, that's another... I guess another facet of diversifying the population that work in, we need to look at diversity in the broader sense, but also just remember, you know, if you're trying to make an industry boom in a particular city, don't forget the people who grew up there or who know the city really, really well. And I'm saying this because, I mean, I'm not from Manchester, but I came here for university and I'm one of the very, very few people I know in my entire faculty who is still in Manchester. Half of them, I'm sure, either went to London or left immediately. That, you know, it was a different time. It was a long time ago. But even today, you know, we've got a lot to offer in this city, particularly, but we shouldn't be letting people go. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with London, but. You know, we've got a lot to offer here. And I, I think probably the same happens with London. Like people who are there, yes, there are loads of great opportunities, but how many actual Londoners are getting the opportunities that are on their doorstep? Yeah, that's some yeah. big mistake. And I just worry when I see an office is opening in New York or it's opening wherever, in whichever city, I'm like, how many people in that city are you actually trying to employ or develop? Yeah, I uh, I too am one of the people that stayed in Manchester after university, not from Manchester, but decided to stay up there. And I am the only person that I know from my course that did that as well. So it hasn't changed. And the London brain drain is a real thing that cities across the UK feel. And the London point, I think, is interesting. And I'd be, I'll be interesting to hear if um, anyone calls me out on this. But I don't know if there are any Londoners anymore like the generational Londoners that have been there for 50 60 years have their family ties there 
I think there are, but I think those communities are being pushed out by the brain drain that then takes over. Yeah. So I think that's a microcosm. I don't I think cities like Manchester, Sheffield, Newcastle need to do better at supporting yeah. that local talent and investing in getting young people, everyone, any age, into jobs that are coming to those cities. Yeah, I think I think that the sentiment is there. It's just when I I know when I've sat in meetings recently, we're talking, and <laughs> I have to at the end just remind everybody that you know we while we're cooking up all these schemes. By the way, are we speaking to anybody local? How many locals are actually on this call? And can we get somebody in if they're not? You know whether they're working in or around the tech industry or not. We just need that local connection because at the end of the day, if we don't that's another thing that happens when you import people they tend to speak or be, you know build their social circles around people who aren't from here as well necessarily you know and it's just having that awareness of how many people actually you speak to are, are local and have got a connection to locals and if that isn't the case make an effort to to reach out to them because it's yeah, there's a lot going on. There are loads of talented people. And every time I tell someone, you know, that I'm doing something and they're from Manchester and living in London or living elsewhere abroad, they're like, wow, I can't believe that that was happening or this is happening on my doorstep. I wouldn't have left if I'd known. Yeah, exactly. I, I think there is a part of it as well of when you're new to a city or you're finding yourself in a city, you put the effort in to find those opportunities where if you grow up there you don't necessarily look you take it as the city you grew up and I know I think that about where I grew up I'm like it's nothing yeah. there it's boring it's same old same old and it could have a thriving tech scene for all I know so <laughs> <laughs> very true very true you just made me think about you know where I grew up in in North Wales actually and I don't I, I rely on school friends still to know what's happening I really don't know what's happening in the town but yeah it's very very true <laughs> and so I have one final question for you so we named our business honey badger because they're fearless powerful and intelligent and that feeds into our company culture so if you were an animal which one would you be and why oh gosh <laughs> I don't think I've ever had this question before if I were an animal I think I'm like an elephant and it's because I don't do that much most of the time I look I observe a lot and I'm very calm but once I get passionate about something you can't stop me and I've got a pretty good memory but yeah I'm like one of those <laughs> one of those animals that is just yeah very calm but yeah once once you get me going I'm very very passionate yeah I think and it's the, the memories because I, I remember, oh, I tend to remember people and using that to build connections. Yeah, it's the memory thing for an element, an elephant that I respect. So, yeah, an elephant. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great, great answer. Thank you so much for your time today and I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been so much fun. So there we go. That's all for this episode of CultureCast. I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did recording. If you liked this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can have access to our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes relating to service design, product management, design research and much, much more. And if you want to get in touch with me or any of the guests, then you can find their details in the podcast show notes. Thank you and have a great day.